jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring Snowing and blowing up bushels of fun Now the jingle hop has begun It's time to pimp up your Christmas mojo Welcome to the show that's a bit like Santa well, at least it gets three hoes a year. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first of our Christmas editions of the Mojo Radio Show. It's Christmas time, and at the Mojo Radio Show, we have taken it upon ourselves to bring back the Christmas tradition. The magic of Christmas seems to get caught up in retail shopping, retail advertising, and retail spending. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we are... We're empowering ourselves and empowering you to bring back the Christmas spirit. We're going to play carols, tell some stories. We've got some cracking guests coming up, but we want to get ourselves vibed and ready for December 25. Speaking of which, the man who's behind the panel, responsible for putting the carols together and getting the elves, our our Mojo Radio Show elves, to do all the hard yatta. Yeah, I can tell you now, it's not elves, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and they ain't little folks. They and ain't they little ain't little, else. that's right. They're not small at all. No, I'm, I'm well made. Put the finger in the cookie jar, you fat <laughs> you fat That's bastard. it, exactly. How are you, mate? Christmas, I'm I'm pumped for Christmas. Absolutely pumped. I must say, uh, now that it is December, I'm actually mm. starting to feel pretty good about it. I yeah. am looking forward to this Christmas, I'm looking forward to all the stuff that leads up to it. I'm on the mm-hmm. road. On the road next week, doing a lot of speaking gigs around the country, uh, which I'm looking forward to. It'll be my last hurrah before we uh, rock into Chrissy. The last of 2015, eh? Can I just say, how bloody quickly did we get here, though? I must say, it does seem like only a number of months ago that we were doing the best of 2014 yes. and now we're heading into the end of 2015. And thinking about, yeah, what are we going to put in the best of 2015? Not a lot, mind you, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, folks, if you are enjoying this year's shows, if you want to give us a Christmas present, mm. there's a couple of things you can do because we don't take any advertising. We don't take anything out this. We buy our own Tim Tams. We buy our own Coronas. <laughs> Hello to our friends at Corona. <laughs> We do it all ourselves because we want to help you, your friends, your workmates, people around you get their mojo working. If you like the show and you'd like to give us a Christmas present, tell a friend, share it, send a link. If you know someone who's lost their mojo and they want to get it back for Christmas, New Year and 2016, send them a link. It's win-win. We get a kick out of it. They get some help. And if you really want to help us, do like Rocky, our super fan, Rocky, Post something on Facebook about the show, or even better still, go to iTunes, put in one line. Like it, hate it, good, the bad, the ugly, put something up on iTunes. It really helps us. It helps the show. It then helps us get it to more people. That's our Christmas, that's our Christmas wish, Robbo. It is indeed our Christmas wish because, um, you know, you and I, as, as you've just said, you know, we love working on this show, but um, it's always nice to know that there's someone out there listening and appreciating what we do, and that's what keeps us going. So, yeah, please do. That would be lovely. Actually, I had, uh, I had this playing in the shed on the weekend. Is there anybody in there? <laughs> just not if you can hear me. Is you must have been in a mellow mood. It was. I was up in the shed doing some work and I found an old copy. Uh, It's a double, double CD of Pink Floyd. Uh, And I dropped it in and, gee, it had some good Mm. memories for me. But anyway, I digress. What have you got for us this week, mate? Robbo's 20 cents worth. So I've been doing a bit of searching around the net this week and I found two studies. And I've come to a conclusion, which I'll, I'll give to you at the end. First study... 
took a look at what happens to our bodies when we stop exercising. And by stopping exercise, I don't mean tapering off, but I mean, actually, you know, for the last six months, I've been jogging once a day for an hour every day. And, and all of a sudden I've just stopped. So you've so done a bit a of a study. Sorry, yeah, I'm going to post a selfie. Is that what? <laughs> rugby season's over, folks. That's right. Rugby season's over and it's off season. So, um, post so anyway. before and after. Yeah, that's before it. and after selfies. Go on. That's right. But it's actually, they've actually found, believe it or not, that they, it can actually be quite a dangerous thing to just stop. Um, what they did was they measured the damages of inactivity in general, but they also focused on inactivity after a sustained period of exercise and then all of a sudden stopping. So what they found was obviously a decrease in oxygen uptake because, I mean, that, that's obvious. But other changes included changes to muscle structure, a decline in physical power and strength and stamina, and it can also have effect on your balance. And importantly, they also found that it can result in an emotional, what they call an emotional decrease, which can lead to depression. I think there's two parts to it I'd bring up, Robbo, is I think uh, any guys listening to the show, it also lowers your testosterone. And really? that will have a significant impact from the bedroom to the boardroom, as our good friend Jackie Fury would say. Mm. Uh, and the other thing is when we say exercise, it doesn't mean having to go to the gym and spend an hour and a half at an elliptical machine or go for a 5K run. It can simply be walking for 20 or 30 minutes. It could be a hard yard session, weeding, pushing the mower, it could be jumping on a trampoline and wrestling with the kids. So it's any, mm. it's movement. It's getting the oxygen flowing. It's good for the metabolism. It's good for your creative spirit. So um, mm. I think it's a good story. And I look, honestly, you talk to anybody who's lost their mojo, the first thing they need to do is get moving. Yeah. Mobility. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, it reminded me of an interview we did with Michael Smith a while back. So I went back and yeah. had a bit of a listen and I've gone on to do a bit of my own research. Uh, you, and men you and Michael mentioned a, a substance called resveratrol, which is found, well, yeah, which is found yeah, in what, red what wine. What you really had was the red wine <laughs> reference, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's what I really heard. But I've done a bit of research on this mm. resveratrol and it's, it's mm. quite an amazing little thing. Drinking a glass of red every day, which contains the resveratrol that we're talking about, can lead to uh, a lowered risk of dementia and cancer. It's good for your heart, has anti-aging properties and can also help regulate your blood sugar. Um, you can also find resveratrol in things like blueberries, peanut butter, Red grapes, and most importantly, dark chocolate. So, mm, so here's my Christmas tip, okay? We're in the first week of Christmas. My Christmas tip, taper off your exercise program, drink a glass of red and have some dark chocolate every day and away you go. <laughs> well, I'm just going to drop one little caveat in there. Yeah. Uh, the dark chocolate, there is a lady in, I suspect, America who wrote a book called How to Fight Flat Flammation. Mm. Her name is Laurie Shemek, S-H-E-M-E-K. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Best-selling author, has been on Good Morning America and the Huffington Post and been on Fox News in America and stuff. She put a post out saying that dark chocolate was a great anti-inflammatory. It was very good for helping with weight loss and so on. Mm. I replied to her and said, well, that's good, but it's only going to work if it's 70% cacao or better. Mm. She then quickly replied and said, thank you, Gary. You're absolutely correct. I always recommend 80% or more to my clients. Mm. All I'm saying is that if you go down the health section of the supermarket now and you see all these dark chocolates, they're darker than normal chocolate. It only 
works for resveratrol or uh, anti-cancer properties mm. if you have 70% cacao or more. Oh, well, so I eat the dark chocolate Tim Tam, so I'm all good then. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, let's leave it at that. What's the name of Santa's reindeers? How many is there? Donna, Dancer, Prancer, Blitzen. Blitzen? Is it Blitzen? Uh, Donna, Blitzen, Rudolph, Dasher, Dancer. <laughs> I don't know, seven. <laughs> I don't know. Blitzen, Donna, that's about it. Homer. Dancer, Prancer, Donna, Blitzen, something, something, and Rudolph only when it's really foggy. Run, run, Rudolph, I mean like <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. Mate, I am pumped at this week's interview. We have yet another exclusive. I, it's a, there's a backstory to this, so settling kids, but this is... <laughs> Uncle this Gary's going to tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit of an exclusive, only because this guy doesn't do interviews. No, that's right. And he initially, he when, when the beautiful Kat Swinton approached him to say the boys would like to chat, he said no. <laughs> Who? Is what he actually said. <laughs> exactly, but when Kat talked about the fact that this guy, David Lowy, and I had chatted backstage at the Dead Daisies gig and we talked about all the mutual friends we had and more importantly, I used to work for him. He used to be my boss. He agreed to the interview. So here's the setup. We were backstage. I got introduced to David Lowy. I looked at him and instantly recognised Frank Lowy, his dad, in his face. David Lowy is, this, is one of the sons of Frank Lowy and Frank, David, his brothers Stephen and Peter are the family behind one of Australia's most successful family dynasties and iconic brands in Westfield. Mm. So Westfield being the global shopping centre leaders they are, Frank recently stepped down as the leader of the Australian Soccer Federation to be followed on by David's brother. Honestly, this guy is fascinating to us in that he has led one of Australia's greatest uh, retail brands, been on the board. He's now leading an investment company. He's currently touring Europe with the Dead Daisies, this fantastic rock band that we've been talking with and about for the last couple of months. He's a pilot doing amazing altruistic things to save the history that is in the air uh, through the planes that fought in the wars and the people that flew those. It's just, he's such an interesting guy and we are delighted to have on the phone with us today, David Lowy, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Mate, this is, um, this is a great treat for us. Um, for me personally, having known you and your family through my time at Westfield back in the 80s. Oh, yeah. But secondly, because of your association with the, the, the Dead Daisies and there's so much to talk to you about. When someone says to you, what do you do? Today, what do you say? It depends who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I even get a little bit confused myself sometimes because, I mean, I, you know, I, I run a business and that's my day job, and I, I'm very passionate about playing music, and I do that, and I'm also very keen and active pilot. So, mm. um, it depends who I'm talking to. <laughs> it depends what hat you're wearing that day. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When well, I have to fill out the customs card coming back into Sydney or going somewhere and it says your occupation I'm, I'm always not sure what to put down because <laughs> you, you look like a rocker 
but it's easy <laughs> to put down businessmen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, sometimes you don't want to put down musicians. As a, as a <laughs> <laughs> it depends how much you want to be searched by the customs. Yeah, so, I was going to say, if you put down pilot and come through customs with long hair, you're probably going to get a few funny looks, aren't you? Surely. Yeah, they don't believe you. They don't believe you anyway. But anyway, it's all good. David, you're from one of Australia's truly iconic business families. What are your earliest memories of Westfield? Oh, my earliest memories, I, I went out with my dad since I was uh, five years old at the building sites every Saturday and Sunday, and, and we just did that every weekend. Uh, even before that, I remember before he started building shopping centres, he subdivided land, and I remember going out and looking at farms and orchards and things like that when I was three or four years old. So I, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been working for a long time. Um, so the, my, that's my earliest memories of traipsing mm. around building sites as a little boy. Your your dad, for those international listeners, and be brief, not many of them who wouldn't know of or have visited a Westfield shopping centre. Yeah. Back in the 80s, I worked with you, your brothers, Frank, and your father's partner, John Saunders, who oh, began yeah. Westfield. And I've read both John's yeah. book and I've read your dad's book. Can yeah. you, John is no longer with us, but during that period, I, 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 there's a lot of memories I have of John Saunders. What what are your memories that you take from your time of growing up and knowing John Saunders, Dave? I've got very, very fond memories of John. Um, I always got along well with him and, and, he, and he truly loved me. Um, I used to uh, spend time with him when I, as soon as I got my driver's license. John hated to drive. Mm. And uh, as soon as I got my driver's license, I'd, on Thursday, on, on Saturdays and on Thursday nights, when Thursday night shopping came in, mm. I used to drive him around to the centres and I, I spent a lot of time with him. I, I, I learned a huge amount from him. He was a, a visionary and a big thinker and a very generous man. Do you take lessons from that that you put into your day-to-day life still at this time, Dave? Uh, I definitely, you know, you you your, what you do every day is made up of all your life's experiences and I learned a huge amount from John at the time and then uh, obviously with my dad I spent so much time and uh, and with lots of others. It's, Westfield has, has always been a very collaborative enterprise, much more than people would really imagine. They, you know, Typically people think there's... Uh, when, when John and my father were doing it, it was just the two of them and then after John retired... Um, that my dad did everything, but it's it's anything but that. It's a very collaborative enterprise, and um, so you learn a lot from the from the people that you that you that, that you work with over you know over extended periods of time. Why why did they get on? They during my time of knowing, and I and I've been a Westfield shareholder and still am today for many years because of my belief in the brand. Why did the two of them yeah. get on so well? I think that well. Um, they didn't always get on so well, you know, like, <laughs> like any, uh, any partnership, marriage, you know, business venture with other people, they, they, they had their, they had their personal ups and downs with each other, but they had very complementary skill sets and that complementary skill set is part of what created the success of Westfield. Um, and, um, they knew they had complementary skill sets. And they, you know, you have to you have to put up with each other um, for the, you know, for the for the greater for the for, for the for the greater good of the enterprise, which mm. they did. And uh, you know, they they had 
I remember many fun times with both of them because I spent a lot of time with both of them together. And I remember some pretty tough times, mm-hmm. as, as you would expect in any sort of business or personal partnership. Um, my dad's also very good at um, compromise and, and you know, thinking through issues and, and working collaboratively with people. Is, that's his skill. You're going out and visiting building sites and shopping centres with Frank and John from an early age. So literally it sounds like you're born into retail, shopping centres, business. At what point in that journey did you pick up a guitar and what was the influence that got you to pick up the guitar and start to develop this interest in it? Well, my mother plays piano and uh, as a kid she bought me these 78, 78s of children's stories um, to classical music. So I grew up listening to stories with classical music in the in the background, and I learned to start to learn piano when I was ten years old. Um, so I, I'd spent a couple of years learning piano, and I was always into uh, music. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, first time I ever heard some of the rock songs, I can I can still remember today. Um, first time I heard the Kinks, you really got me, and, <laughs> and, and, and tracks and some of the Who tracks, and that that's what. Uh, the first record I ever bought was an Easy Beats record, which was um, over the 45. With the song was She's So Fine. with the yeah. A side and the B side was Come and See Her. And I spent my bus money and I had to walk home a few miles to get home because <laughs> I spent my bus money on that record. So I've always loved uh, music. I loved rock music. And yeah. I picked up a bass guitar as a teenager and I had a garage band for a while. And then I, but I, I you know, I was, Going down another path, I also wanted to be a fighter pilot at the same time, but I, I didn't do that either. So <laughs> I went down the path of um, you know, doing as well as I could in school, going to university, getting a finance education, going into business, but I never really lost the passion to do the other things. Hmm. And uh, I suppose I, I'm, I'm living my life in reverse in some respects, but um, it's got its pluses and minuses. So that's really a bit of background. But I've always loved rock music. So did you... You had a dream of being a fighter pilot, and we'll get to that because you're, yeah. in a way, doing that now and contributing an enormous amount to the history and the heritage of that. Yeah. Were you always harbouring this desire to be in a rock and roll band and tour? Yeah, I always did. I did. I just didn't have the opportunity to do it, and I couldn't do it. I was, um, um, you know, I, I, I love my work, and I love being in business, and um it wasn't what I wanted to do at that particular time. Um, and um, I think in about, you know, 1999, somewhere around there, I was just walking past a guitar shop and I saw this guitar in the window and I went in there. This is good. And because uh, <laughs> uh, I remember being about 14 or 15 and wanting a guitar and I didn't have the money to buy it. Um, and when I walked past the shop um, many, many, many years later, I could walk in and buy it. Mm. And uh, which I did, and then I started to learn it and play it, and um, yeah, so it was just uh, something I, I did want to do, but just on the spur of a moment, something caught my eye, and I thought, oh, this this is something I want to do. I'm going to give it give this a shot. I don't mm. know how I'm going to get there, but I'll give it a shot. The two aren't mutually exclusive, though, are they? Running a business and and also being in a no. rock band. There's there's plenty of overlap there, isn't so. there? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think so at all. I think it. You know, one of the things about being in business is you've got to get a broad perspective of what's going on out there 
and you got to mix with different people and see different things and see things from different angles. And um, doing music, um, it really, it, it gives you a much different perspective and it, you get to, you know, um, uh, to be successful, you've got to, in business, you've got to understand broad perspective. And I, there are many businessmen that are also musicians, some, some very famous businessmen. Larry Ellison, chief executive of Oracle, founder yeah. of Oracle, yeah. is, is a guitar player. Yeah. Um, Paul Allen from Microsoft. Um, so you'll find many, uh, many uh, successful business people also do other things, and, and playing yeah. music is um, is uh, it's it, it's, just, it's a wonderful thing, and it, it stretches your your brain. Yeah, it's interesting, David. You just said that there was a point at fourteen or fifteen when you wanted that guitar, but you couldn't afford it yet. No, the, the family at that time would have been very, doing very well for itself, I would suspect, in terms of growth and so on. Was yeah. was Frank always very? Was he a disciplined, a disciplinarian yeah. to you guys? Like, did he? He was. Did he really make it make you not so much? I guess in a way, work for what you got. Is, yeah. is that what, what was it like in the household? Well, so we, we knew we would never have anything unless we worked for it. Um, mm. I worked. Uh, from when I was 14, every Christmas holiday, to work in the shopping centres. My first job at Westwood Bell was actually clean the toilets. So, you know, I've done a lot of different things in the company and it was just always ingrained in us that you get nothing unless you work for it. And I, I didn't think any, I didn't think any different. That's, just, that's mm. how it is. That's mm. how it was. That's how it is. When, when, I, when I was talking to you at Fraser Motorcycles, you were about to go on stage and it was a fantastic gig. I absolutely loved it. And Thanks. When I was watching the show, watching you on stage, you're a great performer, a great player. What occurred to me was, how do you leave that when you're in front of an adoring fan? So you've been touring in Europe with Whitesnake and so on. You've been on the Kiss Cruise. You've got an adoring fan who are loving your music. It's loud. It's full on. It's adrenaline. It's a pump. And the next day you go to your office and it's yeah. quiet sitting at a boardroom table. How, how does David compartmentalise those two? Because I know rock stars really suffer from that or it's hard for them to come off stage with 30,000 people roaring and then nothing, it's just quiet. How, how do you compartmentalise? Well, um, firstly, you know, the band is, we, we're not that well known yet. We've got a lot of, we're able to play in front of a lot of people because we've got some very good support. Mm. And, but we do have a solid fan base building and we are doing our own gigs in England. Um, where, we're, where the tickets are selling well, and but the, I, I just don't have a choice. I've got to, and I like my work, so I've got to, I've got to get up and go to the office um, in the morning, like many other people, and and I've got responsibilities, and um, I've got obligations, responsibilities, and I enjoy it. So um, I practice, I practice guitar every day. I play at least an hour a day, as a minimum, much more on the weekends, and I do that typically late at night when I done everything else I've got to do during the day. So it does get a bit tiring at times and it's a bit weird putting on a, a business suit and going in, <laughs> <laughs> into an office in the city um, with a briefcase and all the other things. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, 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 do, I do like it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to not do that. So um, I've got to try and fit it all in. And it, it is getting your head into different spaces. It takes a bit of... Uh, thinking about but yeah it's, you get up in the morning you just 
you do it. I've got to pass on something just quickly, David. I, I've got two boys, a 12 and a 10-year-old, both who came to the, the Fraser Motorcycles gig and, and both who love the, the new album. Um, yeah. But I was talking to the 10-year-old last night and I mentioned that we would be talking to you today and we were talking about a bit about your background and what you did and all that sort of stuff. And, and Liam said to me, so... So does he go to meetings in like t-shirts and jeans and stuff? No, I love to be like, you got to look. Whatever you do, you got to be disciplined at it. And and uh, in in the line of business I'm I'm in, which is the finance and investment business, mm. you still wear a suit. So yeah, of course. You know, um, and um, you got to have a structure around what you do. And I would find it difficult to work in t-shirt and jeans. So no. Yeah. Um, that's a, that actually helps you get into the space. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting the headspace. By, by having the, the structures around the space. By the same token, I would feel pretty weird wearing my business suit on stage. Although people told me I should do it. Cause <laughs> I was, was going to say, but, well, yeah, well, the school uniform works for Angus Young, yeah, exactly. so, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The makeup works for Kiss. Um, when you finally got your guitar, you started to play and you got to a point where you could get on stage and do a gig with a band, play clubs, things started to happen. What was the reaction in the household? I mean, you've got two other brothers who are also very heavily involved with Westfield, a dad who's yeah. super successful and very focused, a mum who was a musician, former musician, yeah. played piano. How did how did Frank view it? Like, what was his reaction to you going? I really like this music. I'm going to do it as well as be at Westfield. And what was the reaction from your brothers? Because it sounds like you you kind of got a lot of similarities, but then there are also different interests between you and Stephen and yeah. Peter. Well, look, they they thought it was a bit weird at first, and um, but you know, one of the reasons why we're able to work in a partnership is because we give each other the space for the mm. stuff that we need to do. And, you know, my dad's been very involved in the soccer, you know, football. And and uh, now my brother Stephen is, dad's uh, retired from that job now. And now my brother Stephen has taken on that role. So that's, that, they love football. My other brother who lives in California, uh, he loves surfing and snowboarding. And and so, we, we you know, we give, we give each other the room to do these other things. And that's why, hmm. that's maybe one of the reasons why we've been able to work it all out with each other. So yeah, it, it is a bit unusual uh, in business to mix the two things like that, but yeah, mm. it, it, uh, they're used to it now. It's a, mm. <laughs> a bit of a hassle when I'm on tour and they need me and well, I'm, I'm doing conference calls and things during the day. Um, and I'm, the only time I'm not accessible is half an hour before the gig and an hour after the gig. And um, mm. so I, I seem to be able to, keep it together. The family, I think I remember reading in uh, your dad's book, the first book, uh, a little while back now, and I'll put a link to that book in the show notes for this show, and he talked about the fact that I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, was the Thursday night was family night. And Friday night. You boys, Friday night, sorry, Friday night. You boys knew it, and it was such a disciplined Friday night was family night that even the Prime Minister wouldn't schedule something on a Friday night if he wanted Frank to attend. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Does, is there a version of that that still happens, and is, is that family priority still present for you and your brothers and family and so on? Yeah, it's different now because we've now all got our own families as well. I mm. mean... I've got three kids and um, three grandchildren as well. And uh, my my brother Stephen's got, got four kids and uh, Peter, my brother Peter, who's now, has also got four kids. So we've got our own nuclear wow. families as as well as 
you know, ourselves. So it's not always easy to fit it together and we're often in different parts of the world, but we we always try when we can, Mm. uh, when it works out for us to try and be together on Friday night. It's something that we've, we, we, uh, you know, we grew up with and we try and do it, but it's, it's, the world is a different place today than it was 30, 40 years ago. And people are in different parts of the planet and living in different places and, so it's not as easy as, as it used to be, but we, we we try and get together at every every opportunity we can. I mean, I often have whenever I'm in town and my father's in town and my brother's in town, we we, we eat together. We have lunch every day when we can. Um, so we like to do that. That's part of what we do. You were part of the building of the dead daisies that we've spoken of already through this yeah. interview. When you. Yeah. When you had that thought and that collaboration to bring these plays together, what was the thought, David? What, what were you? What did you want to create? Well, I didn't really know. I mean, I I I, I had uh, a, a, a couple of goes at it uh, before. I, I worked with Doc Neeson for many years. We had a project called Red Phoenix. Um, before that was called Doc Neeson's Angels, and then we 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 wrote wrote an album together. It was the first time I'd actually written and. And I really enjoyed doing that. And Doc wasn't well. It was difficult to mm. to, uh, to 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 tour and promote it. And so so that sort of finished. And then I had another project with some uh, band called band called Mink, and that we that I also put together. And um, you know, as you guys would know, it's a very very tough game, music mm. game. And uh, we weren't able to continue that. We didn't have uh, when the singer had. Uh, um, had had a couple of kids and he just couldn't continue with it. Interestingly, the, the other three musicians um, who were in that band all all playing in in, in big bands now in the US, um, which I'm really happy about because they joined me and we went to the US and um, but the bass player, uh, his name's Grant Fitzpatrick, has just joined the Cult. Oh, so wow. uh, he's yeah. So you know, I'm really happy that I was able to help them get that opportunity. The drummer. Get a female drummer. Her name is Stella Moskawa. She's a drummer for a LA-based female band called Warpaint. So, mm. um, yeah. So, but then I, uh, after that, the uh, you know the, the the financial crisis of you know, 2008 uh, started to impact us, and I got very very busy at work, and I, I didn't have time for music then. And, so I didn't do anything for a couple of years, and after sort of worked through that and survived that and got through it, um, I was looking out for something else to do. And uh, I'd known John Stevens for a while, and and David Edwards, who managed In Excess, put us together, and that's how that collaboration started. And we we were able to write together, and and uh, that's how that's how we that's how that got going. It's an awesome start. I, I would rate John Stevens as probably one of the greatest voice voices, not only in Australia, but you know, I would I would say seriously around the world. That voice is just insane. And without a doubt, he's an incredibly talented singer, incredibly talented songwriter, mm. um, and he's a good guy, and I like him. And mm. uh, um, and I, I I miss my relationship with him. Mm.
David, um, you wrote the first album with John Stevens um, in LA. Yeah. Do you have a specific process that you go through for you personally when writing or when collaborating? Like, is there a set process? Yeah. Do you journal? Like, wh- how does that work for you in your mind? For me, for me, it starts with a guitar riff. Uh, I've got lots of them, <laughs> and uh, it starts with a guitar riff. It's very influenced by Angels, ACDC type riffs, and that's where I start. Um, and I, I typically play that riff to um, whoever I'm working with, and we then try and build, start with a verse, and then build a chorus, and and then a bridge, and then try and make it all work and get a melody and and, and, and lyrics. That's for me. That's the process. For me, it starts with a riff. When I'm working with other people who've already got ideas, I like to lay over. Uh, a guitar riff yeah. over the top or a guitar line yeah. over the top. That's that's how the process works. So me. you must be very auditory then. You must be the guy who can, do you listen to an album and you can hear the pieces, you can hear the melody, you can hear the possibilities? You yeah. must be a very auditory guy. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't really think about it like that. Mm. And, and, you know, I just, it just do it how, how, how it works yep. for me. I mean, you know, it's not my, I didn't, I'm not classically trained. I didn't grow up doing it the whole time. So I'm typically in any environment with any musicians, I'm the least experienced in the, in the group. And, and for me, that's a good thing because I, I always like to surround myself with people who are better than me at things. So I learn a lot from the people around me and that's how I, that, that's how it works for me. Is there a song, Rob and I always talk about when we get an opportunity to talk to um, musicians on the show, we talk about the song that, Every night when you play it, you just love to play it. Like it's the song that is says something, means something to you. When you see it on the song, this is like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I really want to rock this one out. Is there a particular song in the Daisy set right now that means that much to you? Um, I I like all the songs. Uh, one that really means means a lot to me. Um, it, it depends how I feel on the day. Mm. Uh, um, I don't really have one say this is my favourite one to play, um, um, and it depends at what what point in time we are. I mean, um, the song, we're, I think we're releasing a single from the album now called um, you, "You and I." I really love playing that song. We've also recorded a couple of covers, one of which is called Midnight Moses, which is the original by the Alex Davey. I love playing that song. We open with the oh, song. That's so. a cracking song. So I, I couldn't really tell you, yeah, I, that song's my favourite. I love doing this one. I love doing that one. I really like doing them, doing them all and mm. on different nights, different ones feel um, more special to me than others. You mentioned a minute ago, uh, David, that you were influenced by the Angels and ACDC in your songwriting. Yeah. In your guitar playing, who would be one of the big influences, do you think? Well, um, I, I mean, uh, have to be um, the Brewster Brothers. <laughs> yeah. And and, uh, and and obviously not me, um, but I know the Brewster Brothers. Um, I, I did actually do uh, a number of gigs with the Angels when they reformed, and uh, John Brewster had a heart bypass operation, and that was a that was one of my real musical highlights. Actually, playing with the Angel, um, 
but uh, very much influenced by by Rick and John, and mm. uh, I think they're great. What's the story behind the new single for the Dead Daisies, mate? Do you know what the what the, what the, the intention is? I think it's called uh, "With You and I." With you and which I. Is, I think well, it was only released recently. What's the story? Well, the story is that John Karabi wrote the lyrics, and yeah, it was done quite a few months ago. I mean, I think we recorded it, finished it in March, and uh, and there was already so many things going on in the world, and his. His view is that it's nothing to do with politics, it's nothing to do with religion, it's, it all starts with you and I. You know, if you could break things down to two individuals, you can typically talk things out and, 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 and settle your differences rather than once it gets involved in politics and religion and it escalates into a very large groups such as nations um, um, or other large groups, it's, then, you, then, then it's difficult to work things out. So his notion there was it starts with you and I. You, you mentioned at the, at the start of the show... Uh, that you, if I said to you, you know, what do you do? We've talked a little bit about the business part. We've yeah. talked about the Dead Daisies and that new single and, and especially the clip. The clip is, we'll put a, a link to the clip in the show notes because it really is all those things wrapped yeah. up. It's it's terrific. And the other part that I find fascinating about you is your flying. What, what was the appeal from a young age to now, what was the appeal of flying that got you into it? I, when, when I was, I remember the day, I was five years old. I lived in the, in, uh, in Dover Heights in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. And it was, uh, I'd just come home from school. My mother bought me this little balsa wood glider. And I stood on top of the hill. And it was a very strong sea breeze. It was summer. Um, and I was on the cliffs at Dover Heights. And I threw this glider down the hill. And I watched it glide all the way down. Uh, caught up in the wind currents and it just I, I've been hooked on flying ever since that moment <laughs> that's the moment that did it for me I, was, I remember in my mind's eye so clearly and that's what I, that's that got me hooked on flying I've been obsessed by it ever since but I and actually you... didn't start flying till till a little bit later in life because I was, <laughs> went to uni and I studied and uh, again I didn't even when I was in uni I didn't have the money to do it so I, I didn't do it till I could Till many years later, it's not a cheap hobby, is it? My brother's a my brother's a Qantas captain, and I, I remember there you go. my my father helped pay for his you know education and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's uh, yeah. it takes a while to get there, doesn't it? it? Takes a while to get there, yeah. But once I got 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 into it, I I did it with a vengeance. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love flying. I still love it today. You also, I've I've read um, that you have a passion for. Uh, history or vintage yeah. aeroplanes, and you are putting a lot of time and effort into uh, restoring and or keeping alive the notion of the the aircraft, the people who flew it. Can you just give us a little snapshot yeah. about the sort of project you're working on? Yeah, well, I've, I started this museum in a place called Tamora um, about 15 years ago, um, 
and the notion was was to be able to display um, historic military aircraft connected with Australia, um, but keep them in flying condition. And one as 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 the thing started to get a, started to move along, I realised that it's much more there's a lot more history than just the machines themselves, and it's really about the people. And I got to meet many World War II veterans because I I had Australia's only flying Spitfire, um, and also I wanted to learn. It's a single-seat aeroplane, and they're difficult to fly. And I needed to talk to people who had spent mm. many hours sitting in them before I got in this thing and flew it all by myself, uh, not having flown one. So I got to know these guys, and then I understood the significance of the sacrifice that these people made, and that it's as much it's more about the people than it is about the machines. And that's when the idea of the museum really took hold to dedicate have a flying museum that's dedicated to the men and women who served Australia who made that, some of the ultimate sacrifices and to make this country the great country that it is. You only have to look around Europe today and other places to see how, how, how wonderfully privileged we are to live in Australia. So, it, that, you know, that's, that's really a short history to the thing. I think it's fantastic. And there's some, there's some great uh, articles online about the work you're doing and it's, um, it's really noble, mate. Do you, we'll let you go. You've, you've obviously just gotten back from Europe. Yeah. You've got work to yeah. do. You're heading back to Europe to Pretty join good. up with the Dead Daisies on the the White Snake tour. Is that right? Yeah, White Snake, and we've got our own shows in England. We're doing our right. own headline shows in England. Yeah. So just a, a couple of quick right. things before we wrap up. Um, Robo and I do a segment which we've done for quite a while now because we both come out of the Triple M stable yeah. from many years ago. We do a segment called the Lesson of Rock. Is there a lesson that you've taken from your time with Doc, the Angels, knowing the Brewsters? The collaborations yeah. you've done, the Dead Days. Is, is there a lesson of rock that you've taken that you then can now apply on a regular basis in a boardroom or on conference calls in your corporate world? Less is more. You know, the, the, often the saying, and mm. you, sometimes less is more. Sometimes you overdo things, you overthink things, and you over. Um, yeah, but it's really hard. The music does. I take my hat off to anybody who's been successful in this in this game and. And uh, it really takes a lot, lot more than what people think. Yeah. It is a, I think it's the most difficult thing I've done. In a business sense, I think it's the toughest business there is. Um, and I really take my hat off to the people who are successful at it and have the utmost respect for people who can earn a living doing it because uh, yeah. um, it's, it's a very difficult thing. But I think what it's you know getting along with people. You've got it in a band. You've got to get along with people, and you can't always get along with people. Um, so I've learned a lot about interpersonal relationships and uh, dealing at a different level with creative people is di- di- very different than dealing with uh, financial people. So I've had a broadened experience, but often less is more. You've talked about, just to finish up, you've talked about it starts with a chord or you, you hear a melody, you yeah. take it somebody, you collaborate. At the same time, is stillness and or silence important to you and part of your creative process and David as a man? Silence and stillness. I, I, I'd like to find some. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no time. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing we've got is time. We don't have anything else. So you don't want to waste any of it. But no, I'd li- it's not my nature. Stillness and quietness is not in my nature. Uh, although I would dearly love to be able to get to that point. But... but um, <laughs> Well, can I just say between what between running a business, looking after an aircraft museum, 
and, and being in a rock band plus four kids, did you say? No, I've got three kids and three, three kids. grandchildren. Yeah, well, there yeah. you go. So there's not really a lot of time for any stillness there's in there anyway, is there? No. no. not much stillness <laughs> David, you're at home, the phone rings, and it's a band, any band in the world, yeah. who are asking you to stand in because their guitarist yeah. is away. Who would yeah. that call be from? What band? Well, the call didn't come. <laughs> I was waiting for Angus to call me. Telling his brother's not well. And, but he never called me. So. <laughs> so, uh, You're not angry or anything. I'm not pissed about it. <laughs> Well, we know yeah, that, that Angus is a it, Angus is a very devoted listener of the Mojo Radio Show, mate. So, what is that little shout out? <laughs> yeah, right. David's ready to pick up. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> yeah, you know, you've got my number. You can give it to him. <laughs> my my boys have been to see their first two gigs this year. Their very first gig ever was the Dead yeah. Daisies, and um, and yeah. then just the other week I took them out to see ACDC, and um, yeah. and I've I've noticed that just lately the iPods. That's about all they've been playing is either Dead Daisies or ACDC. So, that's um, great. tribute oh, to great. both I'm bands. Good company. Yeah, absolutely. Company. Well, this has been fantastic, David. Uh, just one other thing I've got to say that occurred to me during this interview is that when you spoke about Midnight Moses, which is one of my new favourite top three songs of all time, I absolutely loved that track. When I saw you open the show at Fraser Motorcycles at The Secret Show and I'd spoken to you, you went on stage, you played that song, you looked like you loved it. <laughs> like I love it, yeah. I you just it, rocked yeah. that thing's head off. You're a fantastic performer. Yeah, mate. thank you. The, I'm, a, I'm a big Westfield fan from going way back to thank the you. 80s. Um, I think the work you're doing, and, I, and I, the stuff you're doing with the Spitfires and the planes and stuff and, and, and the pilots and the empathy and caring and opportunity you're presenting to them, I think, mate, it's just... Um, and I know you don't do a lot of interviews, Robbo, and I've been looking no, forward to this. And thank you so much for taking the time out to be on the show, mate. Great. Indeed. Okay, thank you. My favourite thing to have for Christmas lunch would have to be the turkey. McDonald's. Yeah. Big Mac meal. Oh, it's Cream of oyster soup, and it must have croutons in it. Fresh prawns. Lasagna. Roast lamb. Uh, rabbit. It's got to be rabbit. <laughs> Christmas lunch prawns. The traditional turkey and Christmas pudding. Potato salad. Mom's apple pie. Radio show. So I got I got a quick story about this interview. It was Liam's birthday last week, and we went out for his birthday dinner, and we were sitting around the table at the local Chinese restaurant, and um, and and Liam was going, I I never want to, you know, I'm never going to work behind a desk. You know, I you know I want to you know I want to do this, I want to do that, and I said to him, let me tell you a story about this guy that that Gary and I interviewed the other day, and I related the the, the David Lowy story to him. I told him, look, this guy is he's you know he works in investment basically, that's what he does. His dad owns Westfield. Liam goes, oh yeah, I know Westfield shopping centres. But then I turned around and said, but do you know that right now he's actually on tour with the Dead Days? Did you do you know that you actually stood at Fraser Motorcycles and watched him play the guitar? And his jaw dropped. Like physically, you actually—he's—he's he's holding me in a change, and he went, "Oh, so so what? Does he does he need the extra money?" <laughs> and I went, "No, I, I don't think he needs the extra money." Yeah, no. <laughs> but you know, he's worked—he's he's worked hard. He's got himself into a position where he can basically run his business from wherever he wants to be in the world. What am I? What's my second passion in life? My second passion in life is playing the guitar for the Dead Daisies. So I'm going to go and do that. And and they both boys turned around and went. Hmm, okay. 
you know, and they just they just got What's it. What's amazing about David Lowy is that it wasn't just I made all this money, then went and started playing guitar. He's always done it. Mm. Yeah, he that's right. Plays guitar every day. He has always played in bands. I admire him from having a business and like let's face it, he was he was on the board of one of Australia's most powerful brands. Mm. He's also playing gigs. He learned how to compartmentalize between the two. Mm. Frank, as, as a dad, there's a lot of lessons for people with their kids. Frank accepted it. Frank has always said, I just want my boys to be successful. I just want my boys to be happy. Frank has taught them very strong family values. Back to when David said, there was one night a week, we always got together, we're all very close. I come back to town, we get together. I mean, there are so many lessons in there for us to take out about business, family, relationships, collaboration, chasing dreams. It, um, it is certainly one of our best mate. He was, uh, he was great. So uh, on the subject of rock, I believe you have a lesson in rock this week. Is that correct? Yes, I have. This is a quickie. God of rock, thank you for this chance to kick ass. The Mojo Radio Show's Lessons in Rock. I was reading Slash's book, which I quite enjoyed actually, Slash formerly from Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. And he was telling the story about how he wrote Always on the Run for his mate Lenny Kravitz. Mm. They went to school together. They did. Mm. And it was on an album called Ma Mama Said. And they were doing a studio session together and Slash was sitting in the foyer before he went into the studio tinkering. Mm. And Lenny walked past and heard it and went, what's that? He said, oh, there's something I'm tinkering and playing with. He said, bring it to the studio. And that's where the song, Always on the Run, which turned out to be a big successful track for Lenny Kravitz. Mm. The lesson is we should always tinker. And I heard uh, an interview just this morning on the Tim Ferriss podcast, which is an excellent podcast, with Alain de Botton, who is a author, philosopher. Mm. And he said every night before he goes to sleep, he pulls his journal out and he just writes things down. He said, I write down whatever's on my mind for the day. He said, sometimes it could be a single word, a sentence, sometimes just what went on, something I'm pondering and thinking about. So I just write down, I empty my brain every night. And he said, sometimes I've had a best-selling, a world best-selling book come from me writing one word down and it becomes mm. the premise for a book. Mm. Tinkering, playing, we've heard a number of musicians, a number of writers on the show talk about tinkering and I think John Karabi and Marco Mendoza from the Dead Days has called it noodling. Mm. It's just playing. But quite often we get so caught up with our life, emails, meetings, checking Facebook, we just don't take the time to experiment and play. And mm. it's a great thing for fostering creativity. And what's more for me, the sad thing is we're letting a lot of these great thoughts, inspiration pieces get away from us unless we do something with them. So I love that. I'm a big fan of Slash and I mm. don't mind a bit of Lenny. No, absolutely not. So tinkering can also be called fiddling, right? So, are you saying we should have a Where fiddle are you before going we with go? This? Are, we, are you saying we should have a fiddle before we go to bed every night? A little bit of Charlie Daniels. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a bit of fiddle, brother. What this world needs is a few more rednecks. Let me put that on the record. Let's get this straight. That's all you need right there. A bit more yeah. redneck. A bit more, bit, bit more fiddle playing, buddy. Mm, sorry. All right. Pop, let pop. me bring some sense back yes. to this Christmas show. The Mojo Pages. Uh, this time of the year. We, I always get a lot of emails from people that know me or work with me saying, I need some Christmas presents, what should I buy? Any book recommendations? 
couple of quick ones. These are surefire winners for anybody who is interested in being their best, getting their mojo working, reading just great authors with great usable practical tools to put into your life. The first one is called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's an inner journey to optimal performance. This guy was the basis of the movie called The Search for In, in Search of Bobby Fischer. You know the, the chess prodigy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the subject that the, the movie was written on. He was a national chess champion, went on to be one of the greats of the world. He has also turned his hand to being a martial arts champion. Uh, he's won several world titles. It's just, honestly, it is a cracking book. I've read it three times. I yeah. keep it out. It's one of those books where I just pick it up every now and then, take it in a flight. It's full of coloured uh, notes for me of things I want to remember. Every time I read it, I get more out of it. Very, very good book. I highly recommend that. It's called The Art of Learning. The other one, which is just, just a good read and truly surprised me, uh, and I got this for Christmas last year. It's a big book. It's good value. It's, a, it's the story of Kerry Stokes. Do you know Kerry Stokes? Yeah, Channel 7. Yeah. So it, the, the, the subheading is The Boy From Nowhere, The Great Australian Journey. This is a cracking, cracking book. It is a book written in his own words. Uh, the author was Andrew Rule. Uh, it takes you through the whole thing from how he got Channel 7, his failures, the good, the bad and the ugly, what he's doing to remember the World War heroes and some of that sort of stuff. Uh, it talks about how he built his empire. It talks about media. He bought cat, you know, the cat earth moving equipment and sort of stuff. How he got into property, how he went on to buy all the Victoria Crosses from soldiers' families to donate to the Australian War Memorial to keep the, to keep the dream alive. But, you know, he started by selling newspapers in Melbourne and getting beaten up on a corner and how he learnt to get around that. And he's just, he's just a shrewd, smart Australian guy who enjoys a beer, tells a good yarn that went on to be one of our greatest business success stories. And from everybody I talk to who knows him and works with him in Seven and that sort of stuff, he's just a good bloke. It's a cracking read. So if you, for someone who just enjoys a good yarn. It's a true story, very, very well written, and it will surprise you. There's a lot more to Kerry Stokes than he leads on because he's not a public guy. Like, he keeps it very private. But mm. um, Well, we so cracked David go. Lowy. Maybe we can get him on the show as well. <laughs> well, I have got to call him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just quickly, just and, and in all seriousness, just hearing you talking about books that you pick up and put down and you love, I picked up one the other day, and, and, and it's got nothing – well, it actually does have to do with Mojo because it's a book that really – pumps my mojo every time I read it. And I know you'll get a giggle out of it, but we've mentioned him on the show a hundred thousand times. Hunter S. Thompson, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. One of just the great pieces of literature of all time. And I, I, it's one of those books, like I say, it's not directly about mojo, but for me, I read it and I just, you know, my heart lifts and I feel, I just puts me in a good mood. It's, it's a crack and read. So I think it was about the 15th time I read it over the weekend. So um, yeah, do yourself a favor, folks at Christmas time, go out and have a look. Yep. So you got anything else before we go, mate? I've got one other thing to add. Mm -hmm. And this is a new introduction to the Mojo radio show. Right. We have had some awesome guests and you and I, as we do, we focus on next week, the week after, we publish a show, we move on to the next show. Mm. I went back during the week, I was doing a speech on strategy 
and I went back and listened to some of our previous shows, I've got a new segment, which is the Rewind or the Flashback. The Mojo Show Rewind. I just think it's worth reiterating some of the great shows. I went back and listened to episode 21 behind Culture Amp, the next big thing. Mm. And Didier Elzinger is building the world's leading survey platform for people and culture. He won Academy Award for production at Rising Sun. I'm just mentioning it Mm. for people who may have joined the show in the last couple of months, because this was um, episode 21 was quite a a few, um, half a year ago. Mm -hmm. Cracking show. And if you haven't gone back to check it out, do yourself a favor in the words of the great Molly Meldrum. Episode 21, Didier Elzinger. I promise you, you will have your journal out. You'll be taking notes because I've listened to it three or four times. I still got great notes out of it, and particularly mm. around strategy, people, culture, philosophy. The guy is good. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Gary's Gary's Christmas tip. <laughs> well, it's just that we, we tend to look forward and keep powering right. through them, but we have got so much gold in our archives. I think yeah. it's, uh, it's important to rewind from time to time so that people who are new to the show can go back and uh, and grab some of these. That's the, that's, that's the beauty of podcasts. The stuff never goes away. Absolutely. Your lesson in rock has inspired me. I reckon uh, one of the greatest intros to any song of all time has to happen right now, doesn't it? Yep. Guns and Roses, you could be mine. Let's do it. Enjoy your week, folks.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.